Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider free podcast, a service, of course, of Julie Williams' free VoiceOver Insider. For industry news, tips, and information, be sure to subscribe at www.voiceoverinsider.com. I'm Paul O'Connor, here to introduce our host, Julie Williams. What's coming up on the podcast today? Monique Bagwell is our guest today, Paul, and she's an award-winning actress and voiceover talent, and she's with us today to help you determine what does it mean when, say, an overseas client says he or she wants a neutral or generic American accent. I mean, we're like, say what? For more than two decades, Monique has been teaching that very same thing, general American in the Mass Communications and Media Studies Department at Lander University where she works as a full-time professor um, of performance and speech studies. Monique, thank you for being with us today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. In, in a nutshell, before we get into specifics, what does it mean to have a generic American accent? Because I'm told that everybody has an accent. Yes, that, th- th- there is truth in that. Uh, you know, basically what it is, it's, it's a group of sounds that is based off of the international phonetic alphabet. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's how these particular sounds are supposed to uh, represent general american speech and so depending on what region you live in in the country that can fluctuate of course we right. don't all pronounce the same things the same way but what it does is it gives you sort of a, a, a i don't want to say a flat uninteresting sound but it just gives you a neutral sound so no one can say that you're from some particular part of the country Okay, so uh, is there a correct way to say, say, roof as opposed to rough? Well, see, now this is a good question. Usually what I'll tell my students when that question comes up is I'll say, let's always go back to, you know, Merriam-Webster dictionary and see what is the preferred pronunciation. So if it's the preferred word, then that's what we go for. And it's usually going to be roof and not rough. Right. And that, by the way, is at m-w.com, and then you just put in the word, and uh, more often than not, I've seen a few times when it's not there, but more often than not, you'll see a little speaker icon, and you can hear how it's pronounced. When it comes to a phonetic alphabet, I I look at this stuff, and it's like, huh? I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it may as well be written in Chinese as far as how to know how to pronounce something by looking at it. It can be rather confusing because you're looking at these sort of uh, unusual symbols, but there are two places that you can look. One is through the diacritic symbols, which you would find in a regular dictionary, for example. And then the other one is the phonetic symbols that you would find on, a, on the international phonetic uh, symbol charts. Now, those are the ones that I usually work with, and they will usually accompany a key word. So that can help people understand what that sound is. Okay, so it's like rhymes with such and such? Yeah, like, uh, like for example, uh, I call it the clover A. It looks like a funky A, or, or I call it the Siamese A because it looks like, a, looks like a, an A, and then next to it looks like an upside-down A. So I call it the clover A, and that sound is ah, as in cat. And so that kind of sound tends to be distorted. But if you see that sound in the phonetic dictionary, it'll say, you know, it'll have that symbol and then it'll have the corresponding word. It'll say cat, just like you would in a regular dictionary. So in the phonetic dictionary, does it, this, the, one of the things I hate most is when somebody is sending me a pronunciation and they sp- do it out by syllable or whatever, but they never tell me which syllable has to be emphasized. So when I do it, I'll capitalize, you know, whatever the syllable is that needs to be emphasized. But when they don't do it, it makes it kind of tough. So in this phonetic 
dictionary. Will that be revealed there? Oh, yeah. You can actually buy, quote, just a phonetic dictionary, and it'll have the words written out uh, beside it phonetically. And it'll also show all the stress marks in the word, because that is really important, especially as voiceover artists yeah. on how to pronounce something, because we all have our own little quirky ways of saying things, and, and you want to look for the standard way of saying it. But yes, it'll show you the emphasis marks as well in the phonetic dictionary. And how the phonetic dictionary may vary from a regular dictionary is it actually doesn't have any meanings. It just shows you okay. how to say something. Well, where can somebody find this phonetic dictionary? Online. The title is not within my reach right now because okay. I, I don't even use it anymore. It's usually something that I just offer to my students as a, as a you know, and an additional book. Uh, but most of the things that I pull from are right from the textbooks and, and lessons that we pull from uh, every day. Now, you teach this at the university level. I'm a little confused. What, what is it that people need to know at the university level? I mean, I don't understand why it's important if you're not, you know, say a voiceover talent. Because I teach in the mass communication and media studies program, uh, our students, you know, are training how to be in front of the camera, how to do interviews. Some of them are training to be performers, you know, as voiceover actors or even in theater. And so they have to learn how to do a general American um, type of sound. And I also teach in the South. So well, <laughs> not to, you know, pinpoint Southerners at all, but uh, because I also taught this, you know, back home in Brooklyn. And so you know, talk about two diverse types of accents, but it's just to show them how their speech, their overall speech uh, you know, can can represent them either in a positive way or a negative way. And so sometimes that whole aspect of learning general American English is also sort of tied into their vocal quality, their expressive ability, you know, so it, it, it is branched uh, into that as well. You know, I find that there are certain accents, which I will not mention, that uh, <laughs> when I hear them, I think unintelligent but I know some of these places and I know that the school systems are a whole lot better than some of the ones that I've seen, you know, that I've been in, like I've been in um, New York, Long Island school system. And then I moved down to Florida and oh my gosh, what a difference. I mean, mm -hmm. New York, it, the, the grocery checker corrects you if you use your grammar incorrectly, you know, uh, uh -huh. whereas in Florida, you get an A plus when you're full of, of grammatical errors and spelling errors and all that, but an A plus for the concept. You know, right. I mean, this is this is back when I went to school. So we're talking about the 70s, but still. Yeah. Um, and yet there are certain accents that are further north that uh, to me, I just automatically feel this person isn't very bright when that's probably not true. Now, is that normal that the person who speaks a different way would automatically feel that the one who speaks differently perhaps isn't as intelligent? I think that's just a natural sort of reaction that we have. It, it, it's not the best quality of ourselves as human beings, but, you know, our, our instinct is always when we try to figure out which groups we belong to or who we're going to like, the first thing we always look at is how somebody looks. You know, they walk into the room, you check right. them out, you see what they're wearing, how they're walking. And then the second thing is always 
what they say and how they say it. And and sometimes it's not even the content. As you said, they could be they could be speaking, you know, some really high level information, but the accent just distorts it. And there's this one story where this young lady from Brooklyn, she would go around uh, the country and market some dental equipment. And so she went to this conference in Texas. And so she was doing her presentation and they kept laughing at her. And she realized that they weren't listening to her content. They were listening to her accent, you know, and, and she has this very heavy Brooklyn accent. And, and she says, you know, so they all ask me, you know, where are you from? What do you mean where I'm from? I'm from, uh, I'm from Texas. What do you think? <laughs> you know, and so, you know, that's, it, it's, it's just, uh, we try to put the package together. And if the package and the voice don't fit, it really throws us off. The actress who's on Modern Family, my apologies, I can't remember her name. Uh, I think it's uh, Vega, and she's um, from Colombia, uh, the character is. And, and she says, you know, in my own language, I'm a very smart person. You know, mm-hmm. It was just yeah. a great yeah. line yeah. because everybody makes fun of her and thinks that she's not very bright because of her thick, you know, Spanish accent. And you know um, what? I think that accent yeah. is so adorable. <laughs> For some reason, I'm just partial to Latin accents anyway, but I think it is so adorable that I never thought of her. I mean, I just think, wow, she's really good at acting, you know, like a this. Right. Now, that was that was a line that she actually used within within context of that particular show that they were doing because everybody was picking on her. Yeah. And to say, you know, in my when I speak my own language, I'm actually quite a smart person, you know. And so, uh, I, again, it, it, it brings up, you know, our personal prejudices, et cetera, that we don't always like to, to believe that we have, but it really strikes us when somebody speaks, it probably in some ways even more than the way somebody looks. I think you can get over the way somebody looks if they're different from you and, you, you know, you're not comfortable with it. If they speak to you in a certain way that makes you understand them or feels like they're communicating with you on the yeah. same level. Tell me about some of these sounds that would give me the typical generic, if you want to call it, American accent that, say, the client sure. in Germany is looking for? Let me take the, the Southern dialect or the Southern accent as an example, since I, you know, I live here in the South, and so I teach a lot of students who are from here. And so the sound um, as in L-I-K-E, okay? So the I in L-I-K-E, that's I, right? Right. I. Like, like. But in the South, they might say La, I, I, so I I like pie, I like pie. Now that's an exaggeration, of course, and my students would probably boo hiss me and say, we don't (laughs) sound, you know, but sometimes we have to do the exaggeration just so that we can catch it. Uh, And we only usually catch it, by the way, when someone is speaking very comfortably in a conversational manner. Yeah. Uh, that's when our natural natural accents come out. Come out also when we're very highly emotional. Our natural accents come out. I would be one. Another one would be. Now this is a tough one for me because I'm from New York. Right. And so this is one that I had to really work on when I was uh, studying this in graduate school at the Ohio State University. And that was. <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can say it now. I I I, I still to this day have to pause and think about it. It's oi. Boy, that does that. It doesn't sound like that's a big deal, but I used to say voice. What's my voice like? You know, so it's voice, voice instead of voice. 
You see, it's just like a little bit more of a forward sound if you're speaking with a Brooklyn dialect. My first language was New York accent. I mean, I lived in New York for 13 years and I had a tough accent. Anyway, I moved down to Florida when I was 13 and it is not popular in Florida as an eighth grader, middle school, to have a heavy New York accent. So uh, I got rid of it really fast. I would say, I mean, I said y'all a couple of times, but um, (laughs) things like that happen when you're in transition, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now, when you did that, when you say you lost it, did you do that just by listening to how everyone else spoke or you actually tried to, you know, study it specifically? I don't think it's, it wasn't a conscious thing. And I definitely didn't study it specifically. I I think it was just more, I did listen sometimes, but for the most part, I think it was just unconscious, you know, like, uh, okay, so uh, I don't do accents, but someone from England comes and they start talking and the next thing you know, I'm kind of imitating them and I'm not meaning to. And it's really embarrassing, you know, that you kind of start imitating. And I think that was, that was what happened with me. I don't, it wasn't anything conscious. Oh, sure, sure. You know, my daughter, uh, she's uh, she's adopted and we adopted her from the Philippines. And so she had a strong, you know, Filipino accent, even though she didn't speak Tagalog, which is the uh, the national language in the Philippines. She spoke English, but she spoke English as a Filipino. Mm-hmm. And so she had a Filipino accent when she spoke, but she came here when she was uh, eight years old. And now if you were to talk to her, not a single trace of that is in there. And it and it's nothing from like our family. Like we didn't say, oh, you need to change your act, you know, nothing like that. It was just the the influence of her peers and the people that she's around. She wanted to fit in herself. And so now she really not even a smidgen of a Filipino accent in her voice yeah. at all. We're talking with Monique Bagwell, who is uh, an award-winning actress. She's also a voiceover talent, and she teaches at the university uh, level a generic American accent, which uh, you've probably seen in your auditions. You get a lot of people asking for that, and you're sort of like, say what? I have no idea what that means. Uh, Anyway, we're going to talk about some specific sounds when we come back. We're going to take a very short break and then return to our guest. But Julie, I notice you have some openings in your private coaching schedule right now. I do, but they don't usually last very long. What exactly do you teach? Well, it depends on the skill level of the student, of course. Um, I start with a few specific scripts that I consider assessment scripts. And there are so many techniques, so many, that I can assess from them. This takes one, two, maybe two sessions. But I do kind uh, kind of a full immersion technique where I assess them And I teach and critique more than 33 different proven voiceover techniques. I I haven't counted them lately, but it's kind of like throwing a bird out of the nest, you know, make them fly. That's a lot to learn at one time. It does sound overwhelming, but the techniques all build on themselves, so they actually develop the skills faster. And I always encourage them to record every one of our sessions, of course, and part of their homework will be to listen back to our sessions. That's every single week. You've been quoted as saying you're a coach, not just a teacher. What's the difference? A teacher teaches you while you're in the classroom. A coach is far more than that. Think of, um, all right, a, a, a gymnastics coach, right, preparing a child for the Olympics, okay? That coach invests in the student. She guides the student's individual progress, and she directs the students in other things the student needs to do to progress, like get sponsors. Well, that's what I do. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Do your students get work? Oh, yeah. 
some of my students have worked for MCI, the Discovery Channel, DIY. Even a lot of my beginners have gotten work far sooner than expected. One lady who started in VO around Thanksgiving 2015, she got a couple of gigs on her own, and then um, she started coaching with me and applying the techniques I taught, and bam, four more jobs in a very short time. And she's had, I think she had 30 jobs in her first year, and she credits my coaching for that. And of course, I'll take the credit. (laughs) Oh, and I got some students with an L.A. agent, didn't I, Paul? (laughs) Yes, yes, you did. And I thank you for that. I also thank you every time I open up one of my residual checks from one of my network or cable voiceover jobs. I can personally attest that Julie's a great coach. And you can get more information at juliewilliamscoaches.com. Yes, or email me at julie at juliewilliamscoaches.com. And do that even if you're not interested in coaching right now, because I've got a lot of free articles and resources I send out to whoever wants them. Okay, let's get back to the podcast for a few final words. We're talking with Monique Bagwell. I'm Julie Williams. Monique is an award-winning actress and uh, a voiceover talent as well, and an expert at teaching, and for more than two decades, teaching the generic American accent. And, you know, she's got both sides going on here for us because she's a voiceover talent, plus an expert at teaching this generic American accent. Monique, could you tell us what are some sounds that are different between, let's say, the Northeast which I know is huge. You've got Boston, you've got, you know, um, New York, you've got all over, but um, say Northeast and generic, Southeast and generic, uh, Midwest and generic, West Coast and generic. What are, what are some of the differences in the sounds? Well, I'll tell you something. There's one sound that is not uh, acknowledged in the Midwest. Uh, I found that kind of surprising while I was, uh, you know, uh, doing my own studies. There is a sound in the Midwest that they don't recognize, and it's we call it the backward C. That's what it looks like. It looks like a backward C, and the sound is aw, like as in uh, dog, aw, awful. Okay. Uh, they don't see that. They only see what we call the the natural looking A, ah. They can't distinguish between aw and Ah, aw. So, so how do they say the ah. word awful? They, they say probably awful. say awful. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they probably say awful instead of awful. That aw sound can be very distorted in the north and in the south. So up in the north, I might say, oh, I'm feeling really awful. I'm awful. <laughs> you know, is that would be the northern sound. But in the south, it would be, I'm feeling awful. Yeah. Awful. You know, there's more of a lilt in the voice. There's uh, almost like... Um, what we call a schwa kind of slips in there and you get this little little hill of a sound. Do you feel that California is, because that's kind of the sense I get, California is just sort of the generic American accent? Ooh, I don't know about that because, you know, remember that's where the Valley Girl sound came from. Oh, yeah, I didn't mean Valley Girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not Valley Girl. Sometimes it can be affected. If, if that is the sentiment, I would probably say it's because California has a lot of actors in it. Uh, know, a lot of people in the industry go there, you know, there. And, right, and so right. they kind of bring that, they bring that there. But uh, to speak to a local person, maybe not. And here's the funny thing. You know, Larry Hudson. Okay? I know Larry Hudson. Oh, for, now, his accent always confuses me. I know I've asked him more than once. Uh, Larry, are you sure you're not from New York? <laughs> <laughs> He's not. <laughs> No, he's not. He's, you know, born and bred in, in, in California somewhere. And, but there's parts of his 
manner of speaking that sounds very New York. It does. I'm going to dig a little bit more with him. He might have relatives or something, uh, but he really does. You agree with me, right? That he oh, has yeah. absolutely. Uh, I just assumed he was a transplant to California from the Northeast, from New no, York. No, he said, and, and I'm, you know, he said that he was born and raised there, lived in, you know, in California all his life. But he just there's something about his voice that, and I guess maybe that's why I'm also drawn to him as a person because once again, it's that hey, he kind of sounds like you know people I knew, so kind of like him. You know, I like being around him. I like listening to him talk. And so that's what we're drawn to. So how difficult is it if you want to sound a little bit more generic and you've got um, Midwest accent or, or actually I have one student who's got a mild uh, New York accent and how difficult will it be for her to get out of that? And how does she do it? You know, it's going to be per person, right? You know, that's for anything, for any right, kind of training right. thing. It's, it really depends on how hard the person works. It's like when you try to learn Spanish or another language, unless you put the time in it, you're not really going to learn it. And so I always tell my students, approach this, even though you, quote, speak English, approach this as though you're learning another language because you're going to have to ask your tongue and your articulators to do very different things that it's not, you know, accustomed to. So, uh, you know, I teach this class for a semester. So we're looking at three months. Months, mm-hmm. And they meet me, you know, twice a week. And that's only if they're doing the work outside of class, you know, so it's a training process. It's a it's an ear training process and it's a sensory process. So it doesn't happen overnight, you know, because mm-hmm. first of all, most of us will deny we even have the accent, right? Right. So sometimes the struggle is just getting over yourself and getting over that, what? I have an accent. And then we start feeling dumb. So to, to be honest, a lot of people feel, all of a sudden they feel stupid. You many, I have an accent and they start, you know, uh, feeling bad about it. And so there's like a little transition of awareness, self-awareness, sort of accepting it and understanding that learning an accent is like learning another language. You use it when you need it. And right. you don't, you don't have to. It's not saying that you're bad or that you're not smart or that you're not talented. Those are superficial things. So uh, I would say if somebody really wanted to learn something like this, they could probably see a difference. Probably, let's say within four weeks, if they're meeting, you know, on a regular basis with whoever their coach or trainer is, uh, because they will be able to hear those sounds a little bit more readily. And of course, recording yourself, you know, working with workbooks, worksheets, all kinds of things can help speed that process up a little, a little quicker. And just pinpointing those specific sounds, like for example, in the, in the South, if I were to say, what are two sounds that really stand out in the South? I would say I and um, as an I and let's see, A. Mm-hmm. I and A. Those are two diphthong sounds that really pop out. Uh, so instead of saying pay, pay, will I, I will pay you. I will pay you. Okay. They might say something, I will pay you, pay, you know, and again, I'm exaggerating it for your ear. Those are some of the differences. But if I'm talking to somebody, if, if I'm their coach, for example, and they're speaking, I sit there with my little phonetic alphabet and I start circling, writing down symbols of all of the instances where their sounds are not general American and they record it and then they play it back and they read my notes and then they begin to hear it themselves. Do you do private coaching accent reduction for voiceover talents? Yes, I do. I do for anybody, not even for voiceover. In fact, uh, this week I'm meeting a non-voiceover person client uh, who's from 
the South, and he deals a lot with international and national clients in his business, and he has found that sometimes they don't take him seriously. Oh. When he's trying to sell them or talk about the product, they kind of, you know, disregard him, and he feels like it's his accent. So I am going to be working with him this week. So I charge about $50 an hour, and I, you know, do a full evaluation of the person, and I give them the different sounds that they need to watch out for, uh, and then some drills and some exercises, and then, you know, we touch base again and see how that's going. But it's so important, just like when you're learning another language, that you use this in your everyday. Uh, and that's probably the fear factor there, because a lot of people don't want to stand out amongst their peers or their colleagues or the community. But I tell my students, when somebody looks at you and says, what's, what's different about you? Something's different about you. Then something's happening, you know, mm-hmm. with your voice. Yeah, yeah. When you see people privately for the $50 an hour, do you do this online for people everywhere or do you only work locally? Oh, no, I could do this online as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because again, you know, it's it's auditory. So I'm really listening to you. You could even send me, you know, clips, um, voice exercises that I can evaluate and give feedback on or, you know, doing it in person as well. So it goes either way. How can people get a hold of you if they would like to do private coaching with you? They can go right to my webpage, www.moniquebagwell.com. And on my website, there is a section that says VO Shop, where I offer you know some of these speech classes, some performing classes as well, um, that they can register for directly or just contact me you know through my phone number and my uh, email information on my website. Thank you for joining us, Monique. Uh, we've been talking with Monique Bagwell, who is an award-winning actress. She's a voiceover talent. For a couple of decades, more than two decades, she's been teaching the generic American accent. And uh, the good news for you is you could work with her if you have a little bit of an accent. I've got a number of students who do a little bit Southern here, a little bit New York here that could really use the help. That's the type of thing that you kind of want to take care of before you do your demo. And then, you know, maybe (laughs) have your accent on the demo too in one take, you know but just kind of go a little bit more generic if you feel that you're not, particularly if you do international work. Yes, good point. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Julie, for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Julie Williams, and we'll see you next time. We're glad you were able to join us today. Feel free to email Julie with any questions at julie at juliewilliamscoaches.com. We'd like to thank our editor, Morning Joy Lynn, who can be reached at morningjoy at voeditor.com. And of course, thank you for listening. Till next time, I'm Paul O'Connor, along with Julie Williams, wishing you prosperity in all you do.